Hey everybody and welcome to Stick to Football episode 15. I am one of your hosts, Matt Miller. And I am Connor Rogers. Joining him as always, as we usually say, but changing it up a little bit differently this week. Yeah, and I'll also be here, Marshall Miller. Yeah, Mello is with us. For a couple more weeks until uh, school starts, you've got football camp uh, next week. Uh, also next week, I will be in Alaska enjoying some cold air. It's 100 degrees here today. It fucking sucks. So next week, <laughs> I will be in Alaska. Mello and Connor are driving the ship next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's but right. We have, like you said, a, a great show for you guys today. Um, want to thank everybody for the great questions over the last week. Um, we're up to, I think, 111 reviews on iTunes, so keep doing that. I saw one dude. I'm going to go off the rails here. One dude left. We asked you last week, what's your favorite snack? He said Texas Toast Croutons. I've never known anyone to sit down with a bag a of snack. croutons. <laughs> Who does that? Who I don't does? know. What? I mean, they're good. I'll put it on a salad, but man. I, I, don't, I don't hate it. It's just not something I'd ever think of. Yeah, I mean, I like it on a, a nice salad at Olive Garden, you know, when I want some high-quality Italian food here in Missouri. <laughs> Jesus, we got to get you out to New York ASAP. What's happening to you? It's oh It's God. been a while since I've been there. Or you could just send us more Italian food. So I'm scrolling through your timeline looking for draft-on-draft questions. But first, I want to hear this take about the Chiefs that Mello has. You know, we live in Missouri. We talk a lot of Chiefs football. A lot of our friends are just diehard Chiefs fans. And all this stuff coming out, Tamba Holly, you see a lot of Chiefs tweets, and everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to see Pat Mahomes. So Matt and I are just talking, and it's like, if you see Pat Mahomes next year, the Chiefs suck because he should yeah. not be on the field next year. you got to be rooting for Alex Smith. And then all the turnover in the front office, cutting guys like Macklin, then you see Tamba Holly come out, and he's mad. I don't think it's going to be a good year for the Chiefs. I like their team. I like their roster. I'm thinking they might struggle to get to that eight and eight. Whew. See, I, I knew I, you were gonna have a yeah. hot take. Eight and eight. I would say that's fairly hot. Um, I, I don't want to spill the beans, but I did go through my season win loss prediction today. I'm a little ahead of where Mello has them. Um, I'm worried about things like who's the number one receiver going to be, and it just seems like there's been a lot of. I, it's not like. They're not the Cowboys. There hasn't been that level of negativity surrounding the team, but there has been enough that it's kind of scared me a little bit. It scares me, too, because they cut some of their their veteran leaders. And there are two guys that I would say that are their leaders right now. One is Tom Bahali. He's pissed off. (laughs) Other one as Alex Smith. Is he already looking over his shoulder? Like, if things don't go well for him early in the season, he might just check out. Yeah, that, uh, and I'll say one thing, you know, off your point, Melo, is that that team, no matter what fans think, that team loves Alex Smith, and they will rally around Alex Smith, and they're going to give Mahomes a chance. But like you said, if Mahomes has to play this year, something went horribly wrong, and they're probably out of playoff contention, or they just need to hold on for dear life if he has to come in, because that team supports yep. Alex Smith, that coaching staff supports Alex Smith, so we'll see how that plays out. I don't, this fan base doesn't, though. No, the and if he if he struggles early, <laughs> Arrowhead's going to get loud, and they're going to be yelling for Pat Mahomes to play. What's no crazy doubt. is they've gone eleven and five, nine and seven, eleven and five, and twelve and four in the last four years. They made the playoffs three of those four years. So the one thing, the glue that might hold the Chiefs together is Andy Reid being a very very good coach. But it, they are an interesting team to watch. That division is getting better. Chargers are better. That Chargers pass rush is going to be for real. Uh, Denver's defense we know is going to be dirty. The Raiders, um, you know. 
are young, if they continue to gel and, and continue to improve, I know a lot of people, myself included, are expecting them to win that division. So you can't discount that fact either, that the schedule is pretty tough for Kansas City. But uh, let's take it around the league, something we did last week that I really enjoyed and, and a lot of our uh, listeners did too. Just to get you guys caught up to date, I mean, training camps are officially underway. Um, the Houston Texans, veterans, and rookies are going at it right now. Um, Mike Mello said Tom Bahali is mad uh, about lack of snaps in that Steelers game. Gerald McCoy went off on Twitter yesterday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive tackle. So there's just a lot going on with upset players right now, and you hate to see it this time of year when you are trying to get into camp and you know build that that community and that trust in your locker room. And you have Gerald McCoy is the leader of that team. And we're going to see them on, on Hard Knocks, which is going to be great. I'm oh, excited about nice. that team and, and Jameis Winston and all the personalities they have. But he is not someone you want pissed off. No, he's kind of no. that leader of the defense, right, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. He's the guy that's been there the longest. He obviously, has, well, not the longest, but he has the talent, at least up front. There's so many players mad online right now, which is like really weird. It's the world we live in. They throw these Twitter tantrums. I think this is going to be the best hard knock since Rex Ryan's, you know, actually good Jets were on it because there's a lot of personality with this team, with Jameis Winston, Deshaun Jackson, you know, a rebuilt offense. And then obviously there are characters on the defense and there's talent there too. This could be a really good football team. Yeah, and another uh, you know, news point from the, the week of training camp starting, Chris Ballard says that Andrew Luck will, you know, start camp on the pup list, the physically unable to perform. He is throwing, but... It, I'm going to be surprised if we see Andrew Luck this preseason. And I'm actually on board with that. Like, why? Don't put him out there. Don't risk the hits. And I actually think that their offensive line could take that step forward this year. But let them figure that out without Andrew Luck getting hit in the preseason. But I don't want to see him on the field until that week one game. And we are, just to give you guys the rundown today, we are going to go through the defensive backs in the college football landscape for the 2018 class. Cornerbacks. And safeties. I think this has potential to be a deep group, but it's so much potential is the thing. High ceiling players, players that some of them haven't even been playing yet because they've been buried behind so much talent, whether it's at Ohio State or Alabama or, you know, in the Pac 12, there's a couple of schools. And Virginia Tech's got a group of corners too. So we'll run through all those guys today. There's so many names that I think we do it rapid fire style where I want to hear maybe one to two thoughts at most from each of you guys. And I think it has to start, the conversation at least has to start with Alabama because I feel like they always have somebody in that secondary each year. And this guy this year is going to be Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and I, I think there's some debate right now on is he a corner, is he a safety? There's a little of that Jalen Ramsey uh, situation with him. I mean, it, he has it all. He might be the best uh, defensive back in the country right now as far as college football player and draft prospects. So I think anytime you start a list of best defensive backs, you're going to put Fitzpatrick at one, whether you think he's a corner uh, or whether you think he's a free safety. I think it's pretty safe to say he was the best defensive back on that team last year. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw how highly regarded they were in the draft, and he stood out to me over all the other guys. Yeah, and I'll say the one thing I have with Minka Fitzpatrick is that a scout that I trust said he's the first defensive back from Alabama I've seen in a really long time that actually knows how to cover. It's simple as that. You know, I don't think Marlon Humphrey really knew how to cover. I think he had, you know, track speed and is a little physical. When you talk about a guy with true coverage skills and is a little more refined, it, I would say Minka is. And I, I think he's a corner as much as they might need him to move around a lot. And this next guy, I would say, is probably the best 
playmaker of the bunch from Florida State, and he's going to be playing next to a really good player in Derwin James, but this corner is Tavares McFadden. Yeah, it's Tavares McFadden, eight picks last year, six of those coming on the road. Uh, was a standout player uh, that we didn't talk enough about, uh, but I do think that he has a chance to be one of the best in the country this year. Uh, he he fits the bill, size, speed. Uh, like you said, he has ball instincts. He has that awareness. Um, not so unlike Marshawn Lattimore, who we saw come out of Ohio State last year. I think he could be a top 10 to 15 pick when it's all said and done. Yeah, and he got tested in the ACC. I know that we just had some SEC media days and stuff like that. The ACC is tough. They might actually be the best conference in college football anymore. And they've got talent, and they see it every day at Florida State. And he's got to test guys like all those receivers at Clemson. He's the guy that guards them. It's a good point. Yeah, there's no doubt. He's been through the competition whirlwind. And like I said, that secondary is only going to be a lot better this year with him returning and Derwin James healthy. We'll get to James later. We'll stick with the corners. Now we always seem to be going back to this school in recent years with Ohio State. And they got two guys, in one in Denzel Ward and the other in the bigger corner in Damon Arnett. Well, I mean, and three with Kendall Sheffield, who might be the yeah, fastest. <laughs> he might be the fastest defensive back in the country this year. So Denzel Ward, uh, when I talk to coaches in the Big Ten, they think Denzel Ward is the next first round corner from Ohio State. But don't sleep on Damon Arnett. Do not sleep on Kendall Sheffield, even though he is uh, a young guy. This was an Alabama transfer with ridiculous talent. So Ohio State, you know, I hate to, uh, as a Texas fan, it's hard to admit this, but Ohio State might be getting close to that DBU, at least that corner you label because they just continue to do it, whether it's Eli Apple or Marshawn Lattimore or Gary Conley. Now we have Ward, Arnett, and Sheffield, who, it, from what I've seen of, of Ward and Arnett, and it's, it's limited tape because they've been behind some guys, what I've seen and what I've heard makes me think they're first-rounders. I don't know how anybody threw the ball on Ohio State last year at all. All these corners are great. They go deep. It'll be interesting to see who quarterbacks kind of pick out because they'll be watching film, too. Who are they going to target? Because they got to pick one of these guys to go after, and I don't know who it's going to be. Sheffield, the JUCO transfer. How great has this guy been coached? I mean, did he spend a year at Alabama with Saban, and then he gets to come and play at Ohio State? That guy's, I think he's got a lot of potential to be a breakout guy. I haven't watched a lot of film on him, though, just because of the whole JUCO thing. So I'm eager to see him play this year. Blinn College, the, the home that Cam Newton built, man. That's where he's coming from. So, And that makes me want to rant about Last Chance U, which has to happen at some point in this show, but I'm going to save it for maybe when I'm in a worse mood than I am right now. Now, a corner, unlike a lot of these guys, I mean, Mink has definitely been seeing the field enough, but this next corner, Iman Marshall, Biggie from USC, he started his first two years at USC. And he's... He has his ups and downs. He's a bigger corner. He's a true 6'1", probably 200 pounds, and it shows up. He'll hit people. He'll play more like a safety. Now, I think he, out of this list, is a guy that could move to safety, but at the end of last year, he really turned it on at corner. The penalties went down. He stopped grabbing as much. He looked not as stiff. So uh, when you move over to the Pac-12, and you know we're going to get into another guy with Quentin Meeks, but we'll start with Marshall. Is Matt, is this a guy that... You know, we didn't know if he'd actually be a Buster recruit and now has turned it around to, hey, he's who we thought he was and it could easily be a top 50 pick next year. Yeah, I think that is the case. And you're talking about one of the most hyped you know, recruits that, that we're seeing now as draft eligible. You know, Everyone knows this kid's name because of how highly regarded he was coming out um, of high school. I, I thought that his technique was a lot better than Adoree Jackson's, who was a you know, top 20 pick in the draft. He's not that fast. He's not that fluid. But I think he plays and sees the ball better. You know, He's had three interceptions in each of the last two years. So hopefully he'll take that step this year because 
kind of like Mello was saying with, with Ohio State, you know, quarterback's going to watch and they're going to find someone to pick on. Marshall has to be the man this year because he doesn't have a Dory Jackson. And I know USC recruits well. They're going to be loaded, but it, he has to show that he can be that guy that runs with the number one receiver. So when you go to watch USC, I mean, number eight is the guy on defense in the secondary that we're all going to be focused on. He'll get tested early, too, with that Texas offense coming at him. Yeah, week three against Texas. He's going to get he is going to get tested with some speed and with Tom Herman and and Tim Beck. That that offense is going to be something that teams have to account for. Yeah, and one thing that's really going to help him is that front seven that we've we've talked about on the show. You know, they're going to have a good pass rush. They're going to get after the quarterback, and that'll help him a little bit out in front, especially if they play him as a press corner. And, you know, another guy that has the exact build you look for and coming out of Stanford that's a physical football team usually is Quentin Meeks. He could be that press corner. I haven't seen a ton of Meeks because, truthfully, I just haven't watched a ton of that Stanford secondary last year when you look at, you know, they usually do always have prospects coming out of the Stanford system. But this is a guy that, you know, he's been playing a while, obviously. But we're going to see it's hard to get into that top conversation always when you're coming out of nowhere in the Pac-12. But when you look at guys like Sidney Jones and more notably Kevin King kind of came out of nowhere last year. Can he find his role like that this year, Matt? Is the hype warranted around him? I I think it is warranted. And, you know, with... With Stanford guys, you know they are going to be well coached, and you don't want to just assume that's the case. But you can go in thinking, okay, this, this is a guy to watch. And I know, you know, Quentin Meeks as an underclassman, as someone that scouts haven't done a ton of tape work on. So what you do instead is when you go into Stanford, you say, okay, who's next? You know, who are we, who are we looking at next? And he's a name that has been thrown around a lot. Another big corner whose name's getting mentioned a lot is Alexander from Louisville. I actually talked to one uh, scout last night who thought Alexander might be the best corner in this group when it's all said and done because he has that size speed ratio. You know, he is about six foot one. Uh, he has ball skills. He plays tough. So he is is maybe the guy who isn't at the the top of the like draft world's periphery right now, but could be when it's all said and done. I mean, he's going to come in about 5'11", 190 with. Very, very good speed, very good hands, and he understands you know, leverage and technique. So uh, Jerry Alexander might be the dude to really watch for next year. The one player that I feel will make his way up way higher than we mentioned him is Kevin Tolliver from LSU because when you look at him last year, listen, you didn't have the greatest season. He's been playing since he was a freshman. What I've heard, too, about him is that the potential is essentially all-world. And it hasn't translated because he's just a raw prospect. He's 6'2", 195. I think he's a good athlete. I, I think you could pretty much ask him to play in man or zone. Obviously, he has the really good turn and recovery speed, especially with that build. When you're talking about guys that can come out of nowhere just because you haven't really heard a ton of good things about them yet, I, I think it's this guy. Yeah, it always helps when you're coached by those LSU defensive coaches, too. I mean, that they understand it. They get it. And like you said, he has size 6'2". 195 pounds, absolutely looks the part. Um, now I would keep an eye on Anthony Averett, too, at Alabama. I know we talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. They are loaded in the secondary. There were times I thought that Averett last year uh, definitely showed, you know, like NFL technique. And, he, you know, he was asked to play some nickel. He was asked to play in the slot just because of the, the size they had on the outside last year um, with Humphrey and with Fitzpatrick. So keep an eye on him as someone who – um, yeah, he has the size to play out on the edge. And, you know, like we said, Alabama corners are going to be exceptionally well coached uh, coming out of Nick Saban's system. Everett seemed to be one of the more consistent players. Yeah. Maybe not the best playmaker, but he didn't make very many mistakes. He was always there. He stayed on the field, plays a lot of different roles. I think they even kicked him into safety a little bit. Yeah. And they like to do that. They like to 
move that third corner, let him be a versatile playmaker. Uh, let's take a quick break, guys. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about the safety class, which everyone knows Derwin James' name, but Ronnie Harrison at Alabama, not someone to sleep on. So we'll be right back after this to talk some safeties. Welcome back to episode 15 of Stick to Football. I am joined by Matt Miller and still also joined by Mello is back with us. And Mello will be rocking with me next week. Just me and Mello while Matt is in Alaska of all places. So I want to start the safety conversation with Mello for this one because I think Matt is getting a little tired of having to answer questions about a player <laughs> we did not get to see very much last year. So Mello... What do you think about the hype that's swirling around Derwin James, and where do you think his best fit is right now when you talk about translating to the next level? He is a guy that's getting a lot of hype. Kind of reminds me of uh, Peppers. I mean, this guy had a lot yes. of hype, but we hadn't seen a whole lot from him. Derwin James is a little different because he just can't stay healthy. When he is on the field, he's like 6'3", 220. He can do everything. Cover, he can come down, he can hit. But he's got to stay healthy first in order for him to even be looked at as a real prospect. Yeah, and I, you know, I get fans on Twitter who say this is the next Sean Taylor, and it's like, holy shit, you know, like let's <laughs> slow down. He, I mean, he's played in fourteen games in college, you know. I mean, so we have to see. And you, you talked about Peppers in that time; he only has one interception, which is what Peppers graduated with yep. after two years as well. So we need to see more. Yes, physically, he's impressive. Uh, he attacks the ball. But I think right now we are seeing more athlete than football player. So he really has to just step up, mature a little bit as a player. And hopefully we see it this year. They are going to be, Florida State's going to be loaded on defense with Josh Sweat up front. We talked about Tavares McFadden. Uh, we're going to see Derwin James put in a position to make plays and, you know, run all over the place and, and kind of be that star in the secondary. But listen, I, I don't compare anyone to Sean Taylor. Uh, no, but that's I don't, unfair. I don't think that he's a better safety than. Uh, than Jamal Adams was last year. I think that's a guy who he kind of compares to is Jamal Adams. Yeah, and that's that's great. He was oh he yeah was a top six pick. That's a very good safety. But I, I think whether it's Derwin James or Jabril Peppers or with a lot of these guys who were great high school recruits, everyone remembers them because they watched the commitment video or watched the All American game. But man, we got to see it on Saturdays. And so with James, I'm probably coming into the year. Like a little cynical because all I've heard is this kid's the you know next Sean Taylor or you know Ed Reed or whatever. So I just I just want to see more of it. But you've probably seen as much of him as anyone, Connor. So what? I mean, are you buying the hype on this kid? Not the hype has gotten so out of control that I've I've starting to take a stance away from it because I loved the player as a freshman. I was like, okay, this is first off his demeanor reminds me of Jamal Adams. I think that's the perfect comp. When you talk about a field general, somebody that's a, across the line of scrimmage, and you kind of look at them and you're like, man, I don't want to fuck with that guy. Like it's it that makes a difference on the football field, especially from the safety position because they can bring a presence that not many players can, and he has that automatically. You take one look at him, his style of play. Now here's the biggest problem with players like this: these are all world college players. What are you going to ask them to do at the next level that makes them the difference maker on your football team? And that's what I want to see this year. I want to see him go sideline to sideline, make game-changing turnovers. Now, listen, he had a ton of sacks as a freshman. It used very well as a blitzer. I think he's a smart player. I think he's getting better in coverage. But I don't want to see the Jabril Peppers type of hype where it's like, well, he doesn't give you that much range. And we haven't seen this from him, you know, the apparent turnover machine that he is. So 
I yep. think he could be awesome, and Especially I expect him to be injury. awesome. But I want to see a, a complete safety this we're, we're year, not just a guy that comes it. down in the box. September 2nd against Alabama. That's right. We'll That's know. right, and he could put his name back on the map instantly, and I hope he does. We'll know after that night because guess what? He's going to have to come downhill and tackle some grown-ass men at running back. He's going to have to cover uh, deep against guys like Calvin Ridley and uh, a dual-threat quarterback in Jalen Hurts. So I think, you know, listen, it's first game coming back. There's going to be some rust, but if you're the man, we're going to know. We're going to know about 10 o'clock on September 2nd yep. after that game. If Because, you know, listen, we've I remember watching Jalen Smith week one against Texas and just being like, I'm going to go ahead and bold his name at the top of my yes. draft rankings because that's, that's what the best player in the country should look like. So with Derwin James, but listen, on the other side of the field in that game is Ronnie Harrison who's about the same build, I would argue has had a better impact. And yeah, he has more talent around him at Alabama, but listen, guys, Ronnie Harrison is the truth. Like, it, yes. you know, last year, about this time, was when I my man crush with Jamal Adams started. Ronnie Harrison might be that guy for me this year. It, he is, he's everything you want in a strong safety. Size, speed, and the instincts. I mean, he plays pissed off, which is my favorite trait in a hitter on defense. I just love Harrison's range, what he could do. I, I think he's a strong safety, but I think when he came in and took over as a starter last year after being a very nice rotational player as a freshman, we saw more of a complete safety than we expected. I think a lot of Alabama guys do that too, like Landon Collins. When he was a freshman, a sophomore, they use these guys to come play in the box, which you have to do in the SEC. And then that junior year, they kind of step up and start. It's like it clicks for them. And then they show more range and coverage ability. So I I want to see him play against Florida State. I know you're talking about Derwin James and what he's going to do against the Alabama offense. I want to see what he can do against a very athletic Florida State offense. I want to see more hits like the one where he just destroys the Florida running back or the Washington wide receiver. I'm going to tweet it out. The Ronnie Harrison highlights are, and I know it's highlights, like whatever, but they are still fun. They're a fun watch. <laughs> very fun watch. And the next player, we get a lot of Penn State questions, which is kind of, it's not weird. It's just something interesting with this podcast. So I know Matt has mentioned his name as, you know, hey, let's watch someone besides Saquon Barkley this year. And while I said Gusecki, the first name that Matt said to me was Marcus Allen, because he thought, you know, you know, potentially last year that he could have been maybe in that mid-round kind of guy in that safety class. Yeah. So, you know, what can we expect from him this year? You know, I think he has to sh- he has to show speed this year. That's the biggest question surrounding Marcus Allen. You know, they ran a lot of cover two last year. You can watch the USC game, watch Melo's boy Sam Darnold split that cover two all day. I, I think there were times that Allen was slow to get to the ball. He was slow to recover. So that's what I want to watch for this year. Uh, does he have the hip flexibility and closing speed to be a deep safety in the NFL? But he is a name to absolutely watch. You know, fans ask a lot about Marcus Allen. They also ask a lot about Quinn Blanding of Virginia, another guy who, same size, 6'1", 205. I, I just don't know that he has the speed to succeed in the NFL. So uh, another guy, um, and I, I get asked about probably once a week, you know, people, why aren't you hiring a Quinn Blanding? Sometimes speed, especially at safety, like that's a, that's a do or die thing. You know, you, there's a threshold and if you don't meet it, you, you just don't meet it. So those are our two players who are big name guys. They might be all Americans, but as far as draft prospects go, they, they have some questions they still have to answer. I think also our good buddy, John Ledyard, he did a big write-up on Quinn Blanding, I think either yesterday or today, and he put it best really right off the top. He's like, listen, he's a reliable safety prospect, seems pretty smart, but you're not getting the same high ceiling that you're getting with the rest of this class, and I I completely agree with that. 
Yeah. And I, I kind of feel the same way about Armani Watts at Texas Tech, who yeah. has, you know, been an all-conference, all-American type player, but he's kind of small and plays kind of small. So it, it's tough yeah, when tackling. you – This time of year where you're trying to separate, like, fact and fiction – and a lot of people just know guys from those All-American lists or from a highlight film. And and that's a big-name player, Armani Watts, is that I just haven't fallen in love with yet. You're going to get a lot of depth from this safety class. Maybe not a whole lot of stars. You'll have the Derwin James and Ronnie Harrison. But after that, you're going to get a lot of guys that are going to contribute on special teams, come in, maybe slide down and play some nickel corner, too. Yeah. I mean, you look at last year, you know, some of the – really, really good safeties in college. Guys like Tedrick Thompson and Eddie Jackson were fourth-round picks. You know, that's that's okay. You could be a fourth-round pick and eventually become a starter, but I would say that Watson Blanding are probably fourth-round picks on film right now. Now, I know you guys wanted to talk about Last Chance U, Last Chance U fans, so what better way to kick off draft on draft? This question from Paul Ludlow. Do you think that anybody from Last Chance U will get drafted? Man, drafted is hard. Um, That's a big one. Yeah, DeAndre Johnson. We got a lot left to see. DeAndre Johnson, the quarterback who was kicked out of Florida State, um, you know, punched a girl at a bar, He's kicked out of Florida idiot. State, lands it EMCC, has a chance. I don't know how big he is. He's he's small though. He's like six foot one eighty. Yeah, that's probably the, that's. But he throws a beautiful ball. Yeah, and he showed some intangibles. Uh, I know it's a Netflix series, but he looked like a good kid. He's a good leader. He didn't do anything. He owns that mistake. I love that. I mean, he owns it. He said he did it. He was young. His parents were there. They got interviewed. I love that about him, but he is he's a small kid. Yeah. And, and who will he be coached by? Lane Kiffin, man. That's <laughs> gonna, right. FAU is a must-watch this year, by the way. I completely agree. It's funny because, you know, we, we talked about this last night. One, I hate Buddy Stevens with a passion, the head coach. If you yep. guys, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. There are two seasons. This head coach is a jackass. And I say that as someone, I've been a coach, and there were times I didn't have, I didn't agree with what the head coach wanted to do, but guess what? I, I went along with it. That would not be the case. And you are a coach now. I could not coach for that man. There's no way. I don't think I could either. What he, what he did in the last episode to his offensive coordinator, and I've seen coaches argue on the sideline. I've never been a part of it, but. Some of the stuff is ridiculous. I've but argued I, on the sideline, but not, I, not like that. No. I mean, yeah, there's disagreements, but that was that was something else. It's like, oh, you ran a draw on third and long. Like I've had that argument with a coach before, and like, come on, like really? Yeah. But and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. If you ha- if you are a, li- a watcher and haven't binged it like we did over the weekend, you're gonna get mad. Especially if you've ever played or coached football, you're gonna get really mad. Or return to punt. If you know how to return a punt, you're just gonna get pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> That's true. Stand at the 10. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Returning a punt is one of the scariest slash easiest things in football, which is actually, this is not a draft on draft question, but it's a fun uh, topic. We've This has been brought up a million times in our little friend group. What's the, the most terrifying moment of your athletic career? Mine's returning a punt. Like knowing that you're going to get destroyed. Like when, you know, you <laughs> the missiles are coming, coming down on you. <laughs> yeah, returning a punt is the ter- most terrifying thing i've done in sports i've been hit in the head by a pitch returning a punt is the scariest i'm getting hit by a a fastball yeah go ahead mellow i've never returned a punt but i mean i had my knee just shredded by a 250 pound defensive line that i mean that was scary i didn't see it coming but that's takes the cake I, i would say ducking a fastball once i got into 
the the range of kids starting to throw, you know, obviously well over 70, like that 75, 80 range, 82, and if you have to duck from a fastball, and you get up and you're like, God damn, I got to get back in that batter's <laughs> box as far as I yeah. can. That's terrifying. And then one time I had a concussion in lacrosse. I just got blown up in the crease, and I blinked, and I was standing on the sideline. Like, that's the kind of stuff where you're just like, you didn't care at the time because you're a kid. But you look back now, and you're like, man, people just didn't know back then. Oh, yeah. Wake just up. had no idea. Yeah, the next day, so, head killing you still. Yeah, yeah, like everything aches, and you're just like, ah, I'll be good. And, you know, and one of those, but then it turns, if it turns into more, that's what's what's crazy that's a that's a great question i actually want people i think that should be there our itunes go. i like that leave this year leave the scariest moment of your athletic career that you've ever i'm sure we're gonna get some wild stories and we will read them on next week's show when matt leaves us to go to alaska <laughs> good for him and i'm gonna i'm gonna text the craziest ones to matt so don't think he's gonna miss any of them oh, i'll be leave yeah, the I, review tell us the craziest story it's and i will so listen good. next week when i'm when i'm on my way home I, I might have a new story next week because I'm uh, we're doing a hike and then rapid like we're riding the rapids back down the That's mountain. That's awesome. So I don't know if that counts as an athletic career, but I'm I was excited until this morning when I started thinking about it. I was like, I'm going to die. So uh, you guys might be taking over the podcast yeah, full, full time. time. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. Uh, on a lighter note, this next question we have a lot of good questions this week. We're going to try to get through all of them. And we have the time. This one from Raiders underscore 1998. 1998, not my favorite year as a sports fan being a Jets fan. So which inside linebacker in the upcoming draft would be a good fit for the Oakland Raiders? Uh, I know what the Texas boys over here are going to say. Let's hear it. Tee it up for you. Come on Actually, now. I was thinking that guy in their own backyard at USC, Cameron Smith. Oh, I love He's that. He's a good thumper. He's got length. They could probably kick him even outside a little bit. I mean, Malik Jefferson at Texas is the best athlete at linebacker, but gosh, he has to put it all together. And you know, listen, we get a lot of shit for being Texas fans, being homers. I am harder on Texas players than I am non-Texas players. I like Malik. He's a great kid. He's, a, he's been a great face of the program, but he has to play better. Um, so yeah, I do think if you want a speedy coverage middle linebacker, He's going to be a great fit. Jerome Baker at Ohio State. I was just going to say Jerome Baker. I think he's more of a weak side linebacker, but they need someone who can cover tight ends. We've we've seen it. We were at that Chiefs Raiders game on Thursday night when they could not cover the middle of the field. So, yep. um, you know, Cameron Smith is is an intriguing guy to keep an eye on though at USC. Yeah, that's uh, Jerome Baker, and that's man, he can make a lot of plays in that defense. But yeah, they got to add up. They got to beef up the middle of that defense. That's a really good question. Like that, the Raiders fans, as excited as they are for the regular season, are looking ahead to the draft already. <laughs> Always, <laughs> you can't break that. You know, he, he said he's been a Raiders fan since '98. He's he's looked forward to a lot of drafts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This next one from Isaac Nelson, not asking what team had the best draft in 2017, but what team improved the most because of their draft and offseason. I mean, I'm going to say the Indianapolis Colts and. Uh, you know, if, if we're taking the whole thing into the picture, I think getting Chris yep. Ballard, getting Rex Hogan, getting Ed Dobbs, like that's that's an A plus right there. And then I, I did like the draft. I know Malik Hooker um, has went down with a, a pulled hamstring. I'm not worried about that just yet. I think that Quincy Wilson, I mean, he was my top rated corner in the draft. I think he could be a, a great asset for them. Uh, you know, moving Dwayne Allen, I, I liked their offseason. I, I think you could look at a lot of teams. You know, I 
I'm going to get accused of being a homer here. I thought San Francisco had a great one in free agency. I didn't like their draft after the first round, but what they did in free agency with bolstering the O-line, getting Pierre Garçon, getting Marquise Goodwin, uh, getting Juice at fullback, who has great versatility. Um, we're going to see, are they going to cut Carlos Hyde? I know that was floated over the weekend as a possibility, so that, that might change things a little bit, but I, I thought the Niners, if you're just talking about teams that completely changed the look of their team in one offseason for the better, that's San Francisco. What do you think, Melo? Uh, the team that I keep going back to is the Chargers. Now, I know Williams came out, and he might have that back injury, but if this guy's healthy, you got the two best interior linemen in the draft and a big number one go-to target. I really think they're gunning up to a win now. They see some opportunity with maybe Denver not being so great. We'll see what happens in Kansas City. I know Oakland's great, but they gave their guys a chance. They're going out and making some And moves. They, they got Desmond King in the fifth round. Like, yeah. I know he's not going to be a number one corner, but like he could be a great nickel player in the fifth round. That's a good pick. Yeah. And they got great value. I love tackle. Yeah. So I mean, they're going all in for Philip Rivers. You know what's funny? And I, it, you know, I went on a giant Colts rant a, a while ago on this show, and I definitely, I'm right there with you guys. I, I love the Chargers because that that one doesn't get enough love. So that's a great pick too, Melo. This is one team after their first round. I was kind of pissed in terms of value, but now I look at their offseason as a whole and what they did. The Tennessee Titans found a way to make Marcus Mariota an even better player this offseason. And you can't and so did the Bucks. I we already talked about that. But Corey Davis is gonna come in and help Marcus Mariota right away. So is Taewon Taylor. Maybe the most underrated signing in all of this offseason, because it came so late, is Eric Decker going to there. Eric Decker's still got juice in those in those legs and that offense can be really good because I think Mariota is has found him way that back ten that you know the that back five of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. So well, their I really like what Tennessee's done. It's only going to be better. Uh, yeah, year I two mean, they'll of, punch you in the face. You're two of that group together. The run game is only going to be better. Mariota's you we would think only going to be better. The the only thing I worry about is their secondary. Um, you know, giving yep. Logan Ryan, I mean, basically number one corner money. I know we all like Dory Jackson as an athlete. I don't love him as a cover yeah, guy, but same. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the Titans. Um, I, I think they have a great opportunity to win that division this year if the defense can stay together. I mean, they are a little old at pass rusher. You know, we'll see if Kevin Dodd can you know, do something now that you know fully healthy this year. But I, I, I do like their chances. And you mentioned Mariota. I mean, Jesus, the, the guy just does not turn the ball over in the red zone. And so for a young quarterback, you look at that. And, you know, I remember early, I think it was like show one or two, someone asked us, you know, which young quarterback would you take to build around? And I, I think I actually said Jameis Winston at the time. But as I've gotten ready for the season, as I've done more film study, the things that Mariota does, just not making mistakes, has me wanting to take him as my favorite young quarterback in the NFL right now. This next one from Schmackle 01. Who has the highest ceiling in this class for skill players? There are a lot of different names to go through here. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Saquon Barkley is up there for me yeah. as far as highest ceiling. I mean, I've said before, he might he might end up with the highest grade I've given a running back, but it it's Josh Allen. I, I think he has the highest ceiling. I mean, you know, it, every time I watch him, I think I'm watching, you know, a little bit smaller Ben Roethlisberger or a younger Ben Roethlisberger. So, um, you know, I, I love Sam Darnold. I, I think he has a pretty high ceiling, but I think athletically, like, he is what he is. And with Allen, I think we see a little bit more of a ceiling there. A not fat Roethlisberger is would have been the right thing to say. <laughs> yeah, and a not, <laughs> no off-field, wink, wink, no motorcycles, no none of that. 
all of that <laughs> that was going on. What about you, Melo? Who do you like? I like Geist. I know Barkley's kind of your guy at yeah. running back, but his potential and what he could do, he's like an Adrian Peterson. He's a big back. He's got some pretty decent hands. I think his ceiling is very high. I think if we're going to get away from the running backs and quarterbacks for a little bit, I think you look at Christian Kirk and Antonio Callaway, just in terms of explosiveness, you put their oh, ball in Callaway, the hands. Callaway, man, he's such they a They kind of have that, you know, when you watch Odell, what he does on slants, they kind of, or, you know, on drag routes, those are the kind of guys you can dump the ball off to and they're, you blink and they're gone. But, you know, they're just, they're that kind of game-changing talents. Now, this is a ceiling question. You'd like to see Callaway get there. You'd like to see him stay out of trouble. But the ceiling is definitely there. So keeping it with the wide receivers, this one from Joe, J-D-E-C-89. I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but who's the next Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, can't miss wide receiver in college football right now if there is one? I don't think there is one. I don't think, I don't think so either. Like I like Cortland Sutton. I like Deion Kane. They're not that. Like, they're not up there on that level. Yeah, Sutton's more Alshon Jeffrey than Julio Amari. Yeah, people forget just how great they were. And Amari, like, I didn't even know that Amari is considered can't miss. He still drops the ball a little too much for my liking. Yep. I mean, he's good. He's the number one receiver for them, but he's not in the same level as Julio. Not yet. No, he's not nearly as big either. Yeah. And, yeah, that's and those one. guys, those receivers, you saw it the minute they stepped on campus. I mean, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, they were that number one go-to receiver the second they yeah. got there. And we, I don't think anybody's stood out so far, not even out of the young sophomores. No. I've really focused on the senior class, which is really bad, and the junior class. I mean, it's just, there's not anyone. It might be a year where there's good depth at receiver, but there's not that go-to guy. And, you know, even, like, the guys who do kind of stand out, like Christian Kirk or, you know, you mentioned Callaway, like, they're not big enough to be that dominant force. I already know the answer from Matt on this one, but I'm curious to see if I'm right, and I have no idea who Mello's going to say, but this is a really good question from Kent Swanson. Who is the UDFA you are most looking forward to watching this preseason? Man, you know my answer, and I don't even know it. That's a good question. Oh, man, you forgot. I'm t- it's Dylan Cole. Oh, yeah, that's my guy from right? the Texans. Yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Uh, Missouri you should, State you guy. Should tell your little, you should tell your little story about Dylan Cole. Have I not told that on the podcast? No. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so my story is there was a – I know a coach for the Texans. You know, we share information. And um, midway through the year, I said, you know, hey, man, there's this, there's this kid in my backyard, and he's a little small, but I, I would love for you to, like, take a look at him. Oh, yeah, okay, send his name over. Nothing, you know, for months. You don't hear anything. Pro day comes around. I was like, hey, my man, like just, you know, today's that, that Missouri State linebackers pro day. If you if you need anything like clips or numbers, I'll send them to you. So I send him Dylan Cole's numbers and draft comes and goes. Dylan Cole doesn't get picked. And next day, find out there's a little bidding war for him. And he signed with the Houston Texans. And so uh, the story comes out that, and I don't even remember who reported it, that um, someone had tipped the Texans off about Dylan Cole and they he was at the top of their wish list for UDFA. So it's funny like how that happens. You know, it's just a it's a who you know type thing. I mean I've I've seen other teams where I have good relationships. I've seen them either draft guys who I've recommended or they pick them up late. You know, I don't I don't think it's a surprise that George Kittle is a San Francisco 49er today <laughs> at all. Um and, and that's just the way this business works. I mean once you've been friends with people for a long time you you can kind of see the the dots get connected. What do you got, Mello? I don't remember a whole lot of guys that came out, but the corner from Wisconsin. Yep. 
Sojourn Sheldon. He got picked yeah. up by Sheldon. the Cardinals, right? Yes. He's kind of that undersized, gritty corner that I think could work in that defense. And, I mean, they've done it before with guys like Tony Jefferson. They don't care if they drafted you or not. Once they get you in there, they're going to give you a chance to play if you can play. And they need depth at corner, for sure. Yeah, throw him in there at the nickel, and let's see what he can do. When you're kicking the tires on Brandon Flowers, I think you need somebody to step up. So I like that one. That's a good pick. Connor, who's your guy? I I feel like this is a cop-out because of where he went, but I liked the player, and I went on a BYU show to talk about him before he was signed. Is Harvey Lange with the Patriots? Oh, that's such a Patriots pickup, too. Be- exactly because every you know the guys at BYU were like, hey, you know, obviously Jamal Williams were, was the main focus of the show, but they were like, do you think Lang can get drafted? And I was like, honestly, in the sixth or seventh round, he should because I think he could be a really good special teams player in the right system. And if the Patriots sign you, that usually means good things, especially the bonus he was allotted. I'm pretty sure he was. It was quite the bidding war to get him yeah. when he went undrafted. Watch him be a 10-year special teams kind of captain for the Patriots coverage teams. That's all I'll say with that one. So, all right. Now we're getting a little team-specific, but we got the time, so we'll answer this one. This one from Gabe Huari. I know it's early, but what are some possible positional needs for the Dolphins in next year's draft? Ooh. Well, that is that is quarterback. Specific. Yeah. Melo's not a Ryan Tannehill fan, so he went quarterback on you. I'm a quarterback like hater. Yeah. Like, there are not many quarterbacks that I like. Which is probably why I think almost every team's going to need one next year. <laughs> but, I mean, we'll see what Tannehill can do. I would say interior offensive line uh, is an issue for them. You know, I know they picked up Asiata in the fifth round, but interior offensive line, like, listen, the Tannehill thing's not crazy. I, I think even with his contract, there's a, a possibility of an out there. So he and Adam Gase need to get on the same page. They need to get uh, continue to get, uh, I think, more pass rushers. I liked Charles Harris a lot. I don't know if he's going to be more of an end or a linebacker for them, but uh, and then corner, like yep, they they need corners. Uh, they need number one corners, you know, guys who can match up with the Brandon Cooks and and other players they're going to see in that division. I was going to say, Gabe, if you're listening to this show, I think we gave you your answer already in the first half hour of this show because y'all are either going to need a safety and probably going to need a corner. It's going to be an interesting year for the Dolphins because I think this team has gotten significantly better. But at the same time, how much do we trust Byron Maxwell and Xavier Howard on the outside at corner? And I think one of those guys we talked about earlier in the show would make a lot of sense for them if they if they want to add size, if they want to become a team that you know is going to press a little more, just get better at the position because the talent right there. And they got Cordrea Tankersley, so we'll see how you know. I think he's more of a third corner, but we'll see how that plays out for them. Interestingly you know, enough, season. I pulled up Ryan Tannehill's contract on SpotTrack.com, and he has an out. <laughs> after 2017 oh, yeah. and it's a big one so um it, he's he's due a lot of money after after this year all right this one from matt peters one sporting event from the past that you wish you could have been at live that's a god that possibilities are endless oh um, mine is the uh dwight clark joe montana the catch of course i that's I, I, you know, some of my earliest memories are 49er related um that one i've been i actually bleacher report was the last team to play football at candlestick before they blew it up so i like went and just stood in that end zone and just like you know nerded out seriously nerded out but the catch i mean it was before i was born so that that's it for me mellow can i guess yours yeah you can guess it is it it's got to be the vince young touchdown run right the texas game yeah oh yeah national championship game that's a good one i went nuts 
was going to say, that has to be it. Our whole you. block. Like, people started just coming out. We were at our parents' house watching it, and like, childhood friends were like streaming into mom and dad's house at like 1130 at night. That was a, that was a crazy night. Yeah, another one for me, though, I would love to see a perfect game. Just to go yeah. see a pitcher oh, just yeah. take over everything and dominate. I would love to see that. And you never know when it's going to happen. I mean, it could be Weren't anybody. We a Kerry Wood 20 strikeout game? No. I thought yeah, I think... Maybe um, it was the game after he threw 20 strikeouts. I think for me, it would be the ni- game six of the 1986 World Series when the ball goes through Buckner's legs. That, that's one that I was thinking about, too. Yeah, I mean, that just to be there, just to be alive. I wish I was alive and celebrating that. I, the Mets haven't brought me much happiness, so that would have been pretty special moment you know, i love that question the one that's I, another one people could leave one i watched that i wasn't at um that i i really like would give anything to have been there was game five of the royals meds uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> yeah, i've never got that, that go. one right that you know, here's the true story. I bet on that game. I, I rarely bet on sporting events, but the the over-under was like two and a half runs for the Royals that game. And they had been, you know, they'd scored five, like five, seven, three, and five in that series. So like they'd they'd been scoring. So I, I put a decent amount of money on the over, and it was two two, you know, late in that game. And I'm like, damn it, not only is my team gonna lose, but I'm gonna lose all this money. Lose a bet. That's the worst. And then uh, the comeback, you know, the to find well, win it. Fun fact, I was at game four when Conforto hit two home runs oh, and yeah. they blew the they blew the game. And that was like that goes down as like it was a great night because I got to go to the World Series, which is honestly a very special feeling. It's it's the atmosphere is unbelievable. But that train ride home was <laughs> not We've been there, dude. We yeah, were I game know. seven the year before Giants Royals and oh, to watch your awful. guy get stranded on third. We were sitting right there. And he's just stuck in that empty feeling. But as Royals fans, we left Game Seven, and it was like, "Hey, like we just saw our team take it to Game Seven in the World Series. You can't be too yep. upset about it." You know what's funny? I wasn't even that upset about the loss as much as it it killed me a little bit. Uh, a Yankee fan saw me in my Doc Gooden jersey on the train home, and it was Halloween night, and he was wasted and just lit into me. And let's just say I wasn't having it, but. I was like, man, your team is a trash can right now. My team's in the World Series, and you're going to speak to me? Like, but, man, not to kill all the Yankee fans out there, but no, you can. it ain't easy growing up a Mets fan in the city. I'll just say that. I'll leave that story at that. But, so, oh, man. This next one from Mike underscore Draft 21. Who would be your top five, four, three linebackers eligible for the 18 draft? Mike, I'm sorry. I'm not going to toss that to Matt and Mello because I'm going to tell you <laughs> to listen to our linebacker preview from a couple weeks ago where we go through way too many of them. Yeah, it's a good group. And yeah, it is. Especially, and we broke it down by four, three, and three, four. So yeah, I think it was episode uh, 13. It's when we previewed the linebacker. So definitely check that one out. Keeping it moving, Kyle. We got a lot. And I didn't even look at iTunes yet. So this one, we should set an over-under on this one. This one from Jed Keel. How many Gators get drafted in the 2018 draft? Oh, that's a good question. I got a receiver, a guard come to mind. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like five and a half would be my over-under. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to set it. Knowing the Gators, I'll probably take the over because they always just seem to find guys out of nowhere each year after year. They were like, holy shit, this guy's pretty good. I think they are down a little this year in terms of 
draft eligible talent, but and they just lost someone to injury too. Yeah, that's right. The, I think it was the safety. Yep, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, their guard is good. You Ivy is he'll definitely be an early pick. Moving along, I want to get to the iTunes questions. I, I saw this week somebody did say like, "Hey man, last episode was only 45 minutes. That's not enough." So I love that we're trying. <laughs> we're stretching this out for you before I hit vacation, guys. This one nobody reads. These is that that's is that's the name. Well, guess what? Nobody reads these. Your questions on stick to football. What are your top three players to go back to school and hurt their draft stock? Matt Leinart comes to mind. I always think like I think a lot of these are a myth though. Right. My thing is, I, you know, like Matt Barkley or Matt Liner. Oh, well, did Liner actually? Yeah, Liner returned. Yeah. But okay, yeah, I'm just making I sure think I was the right. scouts would have tore those guys apart. You're right. When You're they right. came out anyway. So I, I actually don't, I can't think of minus injury, you know, it's hard for yep. me to come up with Butt guys who recently. legitimately hurt their stock by going back to school. Yeah, even Liner still was like the 11th pick that draft. Right. So, I and mean, Barkley that's not too was bad. not going to be the number one pick that year when he decided to go back to school. There was no way in no. hell. Uh, guy's like six foot tall. Yeah, with no arm. I know that's not the answer people want. They want a hot take. I don't know that that's actually a thing. And and maybe I need to do some research and actually go back and look at rankings and things like that. But, man, I can't think of anyone really off the top of my head who I was like, yep, they shouldn't have gone back to school. I mean, unless you just get hurt is the only really instance where I could see that happening for someone. I just love reading the snacks on here. Some of pigs them are in disgusting. A, pigs in a blanket. Like I, I just think that's like when oh. I think of snack, I think of like what like you like what Mello was saying last week, where like something like seeds or jerky, you just pick it up and like, like I don't ever think like man, I can go for a snack right now and I make pigs in a blanket. Well, somebody <laughs> tweeted over the earthworm jerky. What is oh, that? That is our producer disgusting. Dan. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's a real thing. That's terrifying. Old trapper beef jerky is all you need in the world as a snack. We did have our fantasy football draft Thursday night, though, and what do we have as snacks? We had turkey pesto sliders. We had guacamole, a five-layer dip, wings. Oh, you did well with the snacks. You just had the July draft. Hey, it was it was great. It was great. Uh, two I'm players. I'm kind of itching for mine. Two players yeah. have been cut that were drafted already. <laughs> so yeah, it's, and we did it, it on Saturday. It it's, makes it interesting. R.I.P. Ryan Matthews. <laughs> Man, we got we got a lot of good ones that I think we've kind of missed over recent. So if we missed your question, there's a good chance we'll get back to it. This one from Justin from Philly, gents. I'm headed out to Notre Dame for the first time in September for the Temple game. Go Owls! What is the one thing that I have to do on game day in South Bend? It's also a spicy nacho Doritos fan. That's a good choice. So there's nothing to do in South Bend. Nothing. Yes, I, but the pregame atmosphere. The tailgating's good. Is fa- Yeah, but you're right. No, South, South went, Bend as a well, whole. Do we go two yeah. years ago um, for the USC? Yeah, USC. Game? And yeah. I got in the night before, flew to Chicago and drove over. Yep, and I, I went and checked out the stadium. It was freezing cold. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have a nice dinner. It's on Bleacher Report. I'm staying at like a hotel airport. So, you know, my money's not going to the room. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing. I had to eat it at an Applebee's. There's nothing in South Bend. and Or maybe I just missed it. I drove around the whole fucking town looking for something to eat, and I went to Applebee's and slammed like five beers with the with the townies. It was great. Yeah, no, there's there's nothing. Our, our intern for the summer is actually a Notre Dame student, and she'll even be the first to admit, like, if you're not there for college, like, it's not, you know what I mean? You're not looking to, like, live it up. Uh, no. The tailgate atmosphere, though, is... It, fantastic you're going in september so you're gonna have good weather hopefully the people are amazing 
Uh, incredible. Like absolutely incredible. So so nice. So just enjoy that. But welcoming, yeah. nice. You can stop. You can stop anywhere you want, and somebody will offer you a beer. It's the most welcoming tailgate I've been to ever. Although I grew up in the Meadowlands parking lot. Yeah, when I was looking for your trash tailgate, can. these like girls were like, "Hey, you know who you looking for?" And I was like, "I'm just looking for my my buddy." And they're like, "Oh, you want a beer while you look?" Yep. Yes. And I like yes, took a brat and a beer and like found you. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um, all right, we'll keep it going. My this one from Anthony Mongo. My favorite snack has to be peanut butter. Uh, one, I love peanut butter, but not something I just regularly snack you just on. Sit down with a spoon so, I love in a tub. Here's what's hilarious: within reaching distance of me, I have the like, biggest jar of peanut butter I've ever seen. Jif, <laughs> extra crunchy peanut butter in my office. The, so. Listen, it's a great thing to always have on hand. Yeah, you get hungry two two spoons, and even said goes well on everything. Really? Interesting question yeah. from Anthony Mongo. How do you how do you guys see the Jags Cuse connection working out? Uh two bad football programs combined. Yeah. I hate to be the honest bad guy here until Blake Bortles is gone. It's I think the only game the Jets win this year is against the Jaguars. I picked the Jets to win two games, thank you. And the Browns maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think the Browns get them. I think the Browns get them too. Um, Damn, yeah, y'all man. suck. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it's probably true though, Connor. Yeah, I listen. When Jamal Adams takes a pick back on Bortles, though, and Bortles, it's the Bortles era ends, I'll be like, okay, this one it might be Marcus May. 15, who does this it? one in fifteen seasons, fine. <laughs> yeah. It's all about next year, man. That's right. Don't win five games. That'd be the worst. Oh no. yeah. No, let's win one or two, just enough to stay out of the history books and and get your quarterback. Listen, I, yeah, I I think the Jags will be better than the Jets. I think the Jags will be better than the Browns, but I don't think they're going to be good. And, they, and it's crazy because they do have a lot of talent, but I, I just well, let's don't get trust let's Blake give Bortles. some hope to him from each of you guys. I want one thing that you're like, this is why I believe in the direction the Jags are going in. I know you're going to say Leonard Fournette, but I wasn't even going to say that because I hate their offensive line. Yeah, it's fair. I That's don't have any hit in the back. I like their secondary. Oh, there that you go. defense, though, if it's healthy, they have so much talent that's young and unproven yep. because these guys get hurt or they go off and get in trouble in the offseason. Dante Fowler? I mean, a couple oh. of them were probably some of the highest rated guys in each draft class. They just can't yeah, keep it together. They got my top two players uh, in 2016, well, because of injury, because of Jalen Smith, but they got uh, Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. Yeah, and then, and then Fowler the year before. Yeah, and then didn't use Miles Jack. So hopefully we see him unleashed this year. But I do like the secondary. I like AJ Boy. I like Jalen Ramsey. I, I like Barry Church. So that's it. That's all I got. People do speak highly of Doug Marone, though. So there's that. Yeah, he holds. I mean, he's a tough dude. You don't got to worry about the locker room getting out of control with him. No, I think people are just. I think people are just really pissed that he just took off from Buffalo. Wouldn't you? But, I mean, oh, yeah. All right, well, we ran through a ton of questions this week. We ran through a ton of snacks. I want to hear your craziest, you know, the craziest, scariest moment of your athletic career. We all kind of had different answers for that one. Ducking from a fastball is terrifying. Um, Before we do go, I want you guys to give a shout-out to one piece of content you read this week that you think everybody should go out there and read. I'll start us off with one of our podcast guests. He just released this today. It's awesome. From Ty Dunn of Bleacher Report. Do you believe in Trey Mason, the running back who disappeared, finally speaks, and he's ready to play again? That's the title of the article. Uh, it's Ty just goes so above and beyond with his stories that I think 
everyone should follow him, but this one is fascinating because I was wondering what happened to Trey Mason. Yeah, so mine is, uh, it's a week ago, but MMQB, Peter King, they did an all-time NFL draft, and he got a bunch of like old GMs, you know, like Gil Brandt, Bill Polian, and they picked they picked teams. I loved that. Like, I'm a, I'm a football history nerd. I love the draft, obviously. I'm, a, I'm obsessed with doing like, you know, e- even when we're sitting around as friends, it's like, let's just like, who you know, NBA teams or football teams like you're we're doing these hypothetical drafts. So MMQB, I thought they did a great job with that. Uh, the one for me is going to be from Bruce Feldman uh, talking about our boy Connor Williams. This guy was a three star recruit. And now we're talking about him as one of the best offensive line tackles of all time. And it just took him three years, three different offensive line coaches. So check that one out. One sack. He's given up one sack at Texas and it was on a quarterback scramble. Yeah, and his quarterbacks were Tyrone Swoops, Gerard Hurd, and Shane Bouchelle. <laughs> yeah, so it's not like he has Andrew Luck back there. Yeah, that that was I read that this morning too, and there's a great nugget in there about him blocking Solomon Thomas because they went to the same high school. That good luck with that. All right, well, everyone, wish Matt well on his vacation. You're stuck with me and Mello next week, but we got a good show for you because we're gonna preview the AFC and NFC East divisions. Which, listen, one of those is gonna be a, a pretty easy runaway for the New England Patriots, and I think the NFC side is going to be probably the most competitive division in football, so it's going to be an awesome show next week. And I'm going to miss you guys, so um, hopefully I survive the bear attacks and the rapid rides and the whale feeding that we're doing, and um, going to get to go to the Alaska Brew Co. sample some beer. And then um, a cool thing that hasn't actually been announced yet, but by the time you listen to this, hopefully will be, uh, August 5th, Mello and I will be doing a tailgate party with Peter King at the Royals game. So watch uh, his Money More Quarterback article uh, for details on that. Boulevard is actually sending us a couple free kegs of beer. So, yeah, Connor, you might need to come in for the weekend, dude. Sounds good to me. Yeah, August 5th at Kauffman Stadium. Watch my Twitter at NFL Draft Scout or Marshall's Twitter at MarshallMiller7. Uh, or Peter King, who I'm sure everyone follows. So, um, But we should have some details. And we're going to do like a, a, a little Q&A. Uh, I also have heard rumor that we're going to get an interview with him for the podcast that following week. So there might be some slurred words. It's going to be 150 degrees on that parking lot asphalt. So I'm going to be in a fantastic mood. But it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the show next week with you guys running the show. Uh, and I really want to see these iTunes reviews of people's scariest sports story because I'm confident everyone can top mine as you know just returning a punt, it, which is scary, but not that scary. So thanks for listening, and uh, I will be back in two weeks. Mello and Connor will take you guys next week. Thanks. Have a good one, everyone.